today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. I mean, God miraculously delivers them and they rebel? Oh, really? And then God in His mercy restores them because God is merciful and loving and long-suffering and kind and forgiving and restores them. And then they still rebel against Him? We do that all the time. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Isaiah. It can be easy to shake your head at the repetitive disobedience of the nation of Israel throughout the Bible. You might think, how can they be so blind? Well, Pastor J.D. will help us see today that we're in no better position. How often do you lose sight of God instead of focusing on things the world has to offer? Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah chapter 47 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. We're currently in this amazing book of Isaiah chapter 47. In this chapter, God through the prophet Isaiah, prophesies his judgment on Babylon. And this for a number of reasons, as we're going to see, chief of which is because of how they showed no mercy to the Israelites. While God would choose to use Babylon as an instrument to chasten his people, They were merciless to his people. And to me, this is really the takeaway, one of many. Man can be so merciless, so evil, but God. Not only does he deal with them, he shows mercy to us. Now we're going to see, by way of an introduction to the chapter, we're going to see some parallels between ancient Babylon and this prophecy concerning Babylon, and also future Babylon, the Babylon that is prophesied in the book of Revelation. So God is now going to pronounce this judgment that is coming upon Babylon because of their wickedness, their sorceries, their occult practices, but chiefly because of how they treated God's people. And the reason I emphasize and highlight that is because, make no mistake about this, God takes notice when His people are mistreated. Think of it like this as a parent, even a grandparent, and your child, grandchild is mistreated. I know for me, I'll never forget when my daughter was young, She went to uh, preschool, and there was a boy that was mean to her. And she came home and she told me about this boy that was mean to her and made her cry. I'm like, oh really? What's his name? (laughs) I will find out where he lives. He will be in great danger! (laughs) 
I know that's not sanctified, but I think you get the point. That's my daughter. That's my son. These are my people. And you're treating them this way? You're going to answer to me. I'm going to have the final word. That's what we're about to see. You ready? How was that for an introduction? <laughs> Let's jump in. Verse 1. Oh, it gets better, believe me. Pretty graphic, actually. Verse 1. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Remove your veil. Take off the skirt. Uncover the thigh. Pass through the rivers. Your nakedness, verse 3, shall be uncovered. Yes, your shame will be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will not arbitrate with a man. In other words, this is non-negotiable. I've already settled this. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'm going to mete out vengeance for how you mistreated my people. I'm going to mete out judgment. And through this prophet Isaiah, I'm going to pronounce prophetically the coming judgment upon you. Because see, heretofore you've never been defeated. You'll forgive the graphic nature of this explanation, but you've never been violated. That's the verbiage here when the prophet Isaiah says, O virgin daughter, we're not talking about morality. No, we're talking about nobody heretofore has ever defeated you, has ever destroyed you, but I will. I will mete out vengeance against you, and I will not arbitrate with you. This will come to pass, and you, Babylon, will be destroyed. And this is a prophecy concerning that coming destruction on Babylon. Verse 4, as for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is His name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no longer be called the Lady of Kingdoms. Now this is interesting, because at the time that this prophecy is penned by the prophet Isaiah, the Babylonian empire and kingdom is not really a kingdom or empire yet. The ruling empire at the time that this prophecy is recorded was the Assyrians, not the Babylonians. In fact, this prophecy would not be fulfilled until approximately 150 to 200 years later. 
before Babylon had even become this, I guess, kingdom that they referred to as the Lady of Kingdoms, who is like unto Babylon, great Babylon. They weren't great yet, but God, who knows the end from the beginning, is telling them in advance, no, you will be this great kingdom. And I'm allowing you to take captive my people. I have chosen you to be my instrument in my hand to discipline and chastise my people. It's really interesting throughout the Old Testament. It's very cyclical, for lack of a better word, where God would discipline and chastise His people. Then they would repent. Then He he would restore them and then they would sin against him again, and then God would have to discipline them again, and then they would repent again, and then God would restore them again, and then they would rebel again, and then, (laughs) come on, (laughs) that's us. And you know, we do err greatly when we're so quick to come down so hard on them, I mean, God miraculously delivers them, and they rebel? Oh, really? And then God in His mercy restores them, because God is merciful, and loving, and long-suffering, and kind, and forgiving, and restores them. And then they still rebel against Him? We do that all the time. Ah, one last thing. I think this maybe is the Holy Spirit. I think there's a a reason for it. There's an explanation, not to excuse it, but to explain it. Here's what I'm thinking, I, I, and I'm going to speak from my own personal experience in my walk with the Lord. Okay, so God chastises you, and like the writer of Hebrews says, don't despise the chastening of the Lord, because He chastises those whom He loves. That's how you know you're His child, is that he chastises you. Because if you think about it, you're not going to spank a child that is not your child, because then you're, you're in deep kimchi if you do, because <laughs> that's not your child. You don't spank somebody else's child. I mean, you'll spank your, and discipline your own child. That's how you know they're your child, is because you're disciplining them. I wish there was another way. I wish we could get a plaque, child of God. It wouldn't have to be disciplined, but no, that's how you know. That's the litmus test by which you know that you're a child of God, is because He disciplines you. And don't despise it. It means that He loves you. Because if He didn't love you, He wouldn't bother. He wouldn't care. You're not His child, so why why would I bother disciplining you? And by the way, this word discipline, I think, gets a lot of bad press. You know, it really comes from the root word discipled. Disciple, discipline, to train and discipline in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. So we are prone to wander, as that timeless hymn of old says. We stray, we backslide, we rebel, and then God has to discipline us and chastise us. And then we repent, and then He restores us, and He blesses us, and He prospers us. And then in the midst of that 
blessing and prosperity we forget. And that's a danger. In fact, I've often thought and even taught that prosperity is more dangerous than poverty when it comes to our walk with the Lord. And here's how I get there. During times of adversity, we have to rely on the Lord. The danger is when the prosperity is there. Because now I don't have to rely on the Lord. Because I'm trusting in my own resources. And God's the one that gave them to me in the first place. And so I start looking to that and depending on that. And God is a jealous God, not jealous of us, for us. And this is why it is repeatedly throughout the pages of Holy Writ, God will declare, I am the Lord your God. They are no God. So we're going to see that at the end of the chapter, if I would ever get there. (laughs) But uh, God has to sort of remind His people that He is God. And He even kind of taunts these false gods. Hey, come on, let's... Let's see what you got. Bring it. Oh yeah, you can't, because you're not a god. (laughs) He has some fun with it, so I'm going to have some fun with it. But I think that's the explanation again as to why it is that we're so prone, when things are going well, to distance ourselves from the Lord, even stray away from the Lord. But it's during the times of adversity where we're on our face before the Lord, crying out to the Lord. And that's exactly what happened with the Israelites. They're crying out to the Lord, oh Lord, deliver us, deliver us. And then God delivers them. And then they're right back, right back at it. I think the proverb says it best. It's quite graphic, but it's like a dog going back to his own vomit. Never forget as a kid, the first time I saw that. Right? Remember that? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why do dogs do that? Anyway, I, sorry about that. I, especially for those of you that just had dinner. Verse 6. I was angry with my people. I have profaned my inheritance and given them into your hand. You showed them no mercy. And then listen to this. On the elderly, you laid your yoke very heavily. Hang on to that. I want to come back to that. And you said, verse 7, I shall be a lady forever so that you did not take these things to heart, nor remember the latter end of them. Here again is the takeaway. I think it is the main lesson for us tonight. This is the why behind the what of this prophecy, such that they showed God's people no mercy and Don't you find it interesting? I want to ask you this question. It's a question I asked myself. Don't you find it interesting that God would deem it necessary to inspire Isaiah the prophet 
to take note of this peculiar detail about how they treated the elderly? Do you think that it could have something to do with what God thinks about the elderly? You better believe it. Not just that you showed my people no mercy, but it's the way you treated the elderly. I think there's a lesson here for us in how we treat the elderly in our day. Would you agree? I think we have, when I say we, I'm speaking in the broad sense as the body of Christ. I think we have robbed ourselves of the great and grand wisdom from those who have been walking with the Lord for many, many years. In fact, in the New Testament, the exhortation from the Apostle Paul is that the older men would take the younger men under their wings, that the older women particularly would take the younger women under their wings and teach them the things of God. There's so much wisdom in those gray hairs. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I, I think about this often, actually. My parents did not live to see their grandchildren. And when our first son was born, oh, how I wished I had my mom and dad to call especially at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> How did you get me to stop crying so you could sleep at two o'clock in the morning? Because we haven't slept since he was born. <laughs> I could just hear my mom, even now in her thick accent, she would always say to me, man, I gave her such a hard time. Oh, bless her heart. She would always say to me in her thick accent, you wait till you have children of your own. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then I had children of my own, and then she's not there. And if she was, I know what she would say in her thick accent again. She would say, I told you so. <laughs> Never think for a second that we have detail recorded for us in Scripture. Unless it's there for a reason. Every word in God's Word is there for a reason. And I think God takes notice of how we treat the elderly in our society, the weak, the infirmed, the least, the last, the lame, the blind, the crippled. You know, in the Gospels, it, it's really clear that Jesus was very attracted to the least and to the last of society, to the weak. He even said as much. It's the sick that need a physician. I came for these to set the captives free, to heal the sick, open the eyes of the blind. He was attracted. He gravitated towards them. You know, the harshest words that ever came from the mouth of the Savior were reserved for the religious leaders. Very harsh words. You den of vipers. How's that one? God takes notice, 
And by the way, one last thing here, and I thought about this. I want to say it's Matthew 7. I actually, when I was preparing for the study, wanted to refresh my memory. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I may very well be. I think it is Matthew 7. You remember that account? And it's taken so out of context, sadly. And it's where Jesus says, you know, be merciful one to another. And when you give, it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, packed down and running over. It will be given to you in the measure that you give. And how many of us have heard that in the context? If you'll just give, in fact, the Lord has just told me there's somebody here that, right? And it's always in the context of money. But I would argue it's not in the context of money, it's in the context of mercy. In other words, you want God to be merciful to you? Be merciful. And in return, the measure that you use to be merciful to others will be the same measure that God will use to be merciful to you. And in fact, it will be pressed down. You know how you try to pack down, get more in? And shake it, you shake it, pack it, and then it's running over. That's the mercy that God will. Hey, when you pray, God, be merciful. That's a, a, there's a precondition, there's a prerequisite. Oh, I want to be merciful to you, but uh, apparently you weren't very merciful. In fact, you didn't want to have any mercy. You wanted them to receive their justice. Why is it that we always want mercy for us, but for them, for you? I'm sorry if I'm pointing. <laughs> Some of you are going, not me, no. <laughs> it's really the Beatitudes. Verse 8, therefore, hear this now. You who are given to pleasures, who dwell securely, who say in your heart, I am and there is no one else besides me. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children. But, verse 9, these two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon you in their fullness. And here's why. Listen very carefully. Because of the multitude of your sorceries. Hang on to that word. For the great abundance of your enchantments. In other words, Babylon, this judgment, this prophecy concerning this judgment that will come upon you, will come at a time when you think, man, Nothing's ever going to happen to us. Who's like us? Look at this. As <laughs> Just ask this king about it. Look at this great Babylon I have built. My hands have built. Big boo-boo. Oh really? You think that you're invincible? You think that nobody can defeat you? You think you're secure, and nobody can penetrate those thick walls that you've built? You're wrong. 
It's going to come, and not only will it come, it will come in fullness. And not only will it come in fullness, it's going to happen within a 24-hour period. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. If you think that the gospel is only in our first four books of the New Testament, you'll quickly learn through this book of Isaiah that the gospel is mentioned throughout It must have been interesting for Isaiah to write the things he did in the course of his life. He was a prophet used by God who lived while several kings of Judah reigned. From their outright wicked behavior to a king like Hezekiah, Isaiah experienced the people living in rebellion and then turning toward God, realizing their need for him. God used Isaiah in a mighty way to influence these kings and to speak to them about what was yet to come. God can use you in the place you're at today as well. It may not seem as influential or powerful of a position, but God has you right where he wants you to use you in the place you are. Are you involved in a local church? If not, we invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 p.m. for Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can get directions at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, be sure to check out Pastor J.D.'s additional teachings as well as his Mideast Prophecy Updates, an accurate look at what the Bible has to say about this time in our world. That's all we have for today, but thanks for tuning in to spend this time with us. We hope you'll join Pastor J.D. for our next edition as we learn more valuable things from this interesting book of Isaiah right here on In Spirit and Truth. 